With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Patrons heard this episode first. You can become a patron too by clicking the link in our show notes or the link in our Instagram bio or heading over to patreon.com slash the murder diaries pod. One of the many benefits our patrons get is a shout out in an episode. Thank you, Regina. Welcome to the murder diaries. I'm Natalie. And I'm Paige. There's perhaps no more well-known missing persons case than that of three-year-old Madeline McCann, who went missing from a Portuguese holiday resort in 2007. Over the intervening 15 years, there have been countless theories, suspects, court cases, and finger-pointing, but all have ultimately amounted to nothing. If Madeline is alive, the bright-eyed toddler would now be 19 years old, a young adult who is likely unaware of her true identity. And if she isn't, then all the more reason to keep telling her story and bring the responsible party to justice. This is her story. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. Madeline Beth McCann was born on May 12, 2003, in Leicester, England. Like any new parents, her mom, Kate, and dad, Jerry, were ecstatic when she was born. But it wasn't only the expected new parent excitement. The couple had been trying for a baby for years with no success and plenty of heartbreak. It was particularly hard given that Madeline's parents are both doctors with experience working with families who experience infertility. Little did they realize that it would affect them too. After a devastating diagnosis of endometriosis and a failed round of IVF, Madeline was their miracle baby. Madeline's early months weren't easy for the new parents. She suffered from painful bouts of colic, which would strike at any moment. She would curl her legs up into her stomach, clench her fist, and go red in the face while the waves of discomfort attacked her tiny body. This meant Kate and Jerry had to spend hours at a time rocking and soothing her to sleep. It was a trying time for the trio, and Kate recalls how at times the three of them would be huddled in the kitchen crying together. Madeline with her colic and the two parents with the pure exhaustion over trying to comfort her. But as quickly as the colic had started, it came to an end. When Madeline was just six months old, Kate returned to work. And just two months after that, the family of three packed up their home and moved to Amsterdam for Jerry's work. Not long after arriving, they decided to start another round of IVF. This time, they fell pregnant on the first attempt. They were overjoyed. And they soon found out that rather than one baby, they were actually expecting twins. It felt like overnight their family of three had become five, and before the babies were born, they returned back to England to be closer to their supportive families. Madeline was 20 months old when she became a big sister. Over the coming months, the family adjusted to their new reality. Jerry received a number of promotions, and Kate returned to work part-time. It was a hectic schedule, but both parents loved their not-so-little family unit. By then, Madeline was developing into an independent and talkative toddler. 
Her favorite things to do were to visit a local farm, which was open to the public where visitors could feed the sheep, go for rides on the farm tractor, or even wander around with the donkeys as they grazed. She was incredibly bright and perceptive, noticing things long before others had. She wasn't shy. In fact, she loved people, but she was very aware of her surroundings and who was familiar and who was a stranger. Unlike other toddlers, Madeline wouldn't rush into a room. Rather, she would stand back and observe. And then once she felt safe and confident, she would enter. Not long after that, she would relax and start asking questions, some of which seemed to come from a person much older than her age. Madeline and her siblings spent plenty of time with their doting aunties, uncles, and grandparents. They dropped by the family home often, and just like any cheeky toddler, Maddie could convince her grandparents that she deserved a chocolatey treat that she wasn't usually allowed to have at home. All of this is to say Madeline was a much-loved daughter, sister, and grandchild. She was full of life and a confident and intelligent toddler. There was no indication that her life would take the trajectory that it did or that Kate and Jerry's typical family life was about to implode on a global scale. On New Year's Day in 2007, Kate and Jerry were spending the day with some close friends who had come to visit them. The couple were discussing how they were heading away on a trip to Portugal with another two couples and their kids. They suggested Kate and Jerry might like to join them with their three kids and really make a vacation out of it. And it didn't take long for Jerry to come around to the idea. Jerry had visited the country before and he had really enjoyed it. The resort the couples were staying at was well-regarded and came with plenty of the family-friendly activities for the kids to enjoy. It ticked all the boxes for the parents who were traveling with their kids. But Kate was reluctant. The trip was going to be quite expensive once you factored in travel for three kids and Kate was only working part-time at this stage. Plus, there was the travel itself. It's no small feat to pack for three kids and then go through the hassle of transport, international flights, and accommodation. She could think of plenty of local places that would require much less effort than a trip to Portugal. But eventually, Jerry's enthusiasm rubbed off on her and they booked the trip. The whole group would consist of nine adults and eight kids, including Kate, Jerry, and their three kids. On Saturday, April 28, 2007, the McCann household woke up before 7 a.m. to arrive at the airport in time for their flight. All of the kids were giddy with excitement as they carried their tiny suitcase out of their house and set off on what should have been the trip of a lifetime. After arriving in Portugal, they met with their pre-booked transport and drove to the Ocean Club Resort in Pira de Luz, arriving at around three in the afternoon. After checking in, they were transported to their apartment and their vacation officially began. Their room was in a five-story block, which was accessed by a public road at the front and a parking lot set off to the side of the building. On the rear side, they had a veranda, which looked out over a garden area, a swimming pool, and the resort tennis courts. All of the families had their own apartments, though one couple's room was on the second floor while the others were in the ground floor units. As for the McCanns, their apartment was set on the corner of the building, so it had a bit more space than the others, which was convenient given they were traveling with three kids. Their apartment was laid out with a short hallway leading from the front door to a sitting room in the back. A kitchen was located to the left of the hallway and the two bedrooms were to the right. The bedrooms were separated by a bathroom. The sitting room was simply furnished. It had a couch, a TV, and a dining area. And against the external wall was a sliding door leading to the veranda. 
Off that, there was a short flight of stairs leading down to a gate along the edge of the building, which provided access to the rest of the resort. The top of the stairs was protected by a child safety gate. Given that the veranda side of the building led directly into the resort, whereas the front door opened up onto a public road, the families all preferred to use their veranda doors to access their apartments. All the other families were in the same block, with one being immediately next door to the McCanns and the others a couple of units down. Kate and Jerry decided it was best to put the three children in the bedroom closest to the road as it was darker in there, whereas the other room had a full-length patio door, which was just like the ones in the living room. The twins slept in travel cots provided by the resort while Madeline slept in a single bed. The food facilities at the resort were spread out across the grounds with the main dining area being almost a half mile walk from the apartments. Various activities were dotted around the resort, including an ice cream parlor, a craft area, and a white sand beach. All the children in the group were signed up to start in the kids club the day after they arrived. All in all, the McCanns clearly felt like they were staying in a safe, family-friendly resort. But as you already know, they couldn't have been more wrong. The weather was cooler than the family had expected, but it did nothing to dampen the excitement of the children. The first and only thing Madeline wanted to do when they arrived was swim. So even though the water was freezing, Kate agreed to get in the water with her. After a couple of hours swimming, all the families met up at a restaurant for dinner before walking their now exhausted kids back to the apartments and tucking them into bed. It's safe to say their first full day of vacation went off without a hitch. So much so that the families decided to do it all over again the next day and meet for breakfast before dropping the children off at their various kid activities, which were arranged depending on their age. The McCann twins were just toddlers, and so they were going to be looked after by a dedicated nanny, whereas Madeline went to a group called the Mini Club for all the three to five-year-olds. One of the other children from the families traveling together also attended the same club as Madeline. And while the children were entertained, the adults could spend some much-needed quality time with each other. For Kate and Jerry, that meant playing tennis. They enjoyed themselves so much the first day that they decided to sign up for lessons every day of the rest of the vacation. After midday, the parents picked up their kids for lunch and then returned them for their afternoon activities. This time, Kate and Jerry went for a run together, something they hadn't been able to do since Madeline was born and life had been filled with raising kids and working. Filled with the joy of their relaxed vacation, Kate and Jerry decided to make reservations at the Tapas restaurant, along with all of the adults in their group. The restaurant sat just beyond the swimming pool that their apartment overlooked. It was much closer than the main restaurant and served a more refined menu. Kate and Jerry also knew that the children would be exhausted from their full day of activities and would struggle with the long walk to and from the main restaurant, so they decided to pick up some dinner supplies from the local supermarket. That evening around 5 p.m., the children were walked back to the area next to the pool with their nannies to be collected by their parents. As expected, they were all exhausted. And so after a light meal, they began their nightly routine. The twins were tucked in first after some milk and his nighttime story, whereas Madeline being the big sister was allowed to stay up on her own for half an hour. But by 7.15, all three children were in bed asleep. The dinner reservation wasn't until 8.30, and so Kate and Jerry showered, dressed, and enjoyed a quiet glass of wine before heading to the restaurant. And this decision to leave their children without supervision on their vacation to Portugal is no doubt a decision which haunts them to this day. After checking on the children one last time, Kate and Jerry headed down the veranda stairs to the restaurant. 
It was a walk that took no more than 45 seconds. They had already arranged to check in on the kids every half hour or so, even though they could see the apartment from the restaurant. The patio doors could only be locked from the inside. And so they decided that they would leave them unlocked but closed. Even if one of the kids opened the door, they would be blocked by the child safety gate at the top of the stairs. So once again, Kate and Jerry felt safe. It was a pleasant evening and Kate and Jerry enjoyed the relaxed banter with their friends. As arranged, every half hour, one of them returned to the apartment. That night, they got back to the apartment at around 11 p.m. Nothing was out of place. The kids were sleeping soundly and Jerry and Kate went to bed peacefully with no indication that their lives were about to be turned upside down. The following days of their vacation went much the same as the first. Breakfast together at the apartment, drop the children off at their activities, play tennis, join the kids for lunch, drop them back off, go for a run or a swim, pick the kids back up, feed them dinner and get them bathed and tucked safely into bed. The group made a recurring booking at the tapas restaurant. And so each night they met up for dinner. And each night, Kate and Jerry came back to their room where their children slept peacefully. And so did they. Each day was the same until it wasn't. Thursday, May 3rd, 2007 was much like all the days prior. Except on this day, Madeline asked her parents, quote, why didn't you come when my brother and I cried last night? Jerry and Kate were taken aback. They tried to ask Madeline what she meant. Was it while they were out or was she referring to something else? But Madeline quickly changed topics and the question was put to the back of their mind. After morning kids club and tennis lessons, the family reunited for lunch. And on the way back to the kids club, they stopped by the play area, which the kids never seemed to get tired of. It was here at 2.29 p.m. that Kate took the last known photo of Madeline as she sat by the toddler pool next to Jerry and her little sister. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That afternoon, the kids were picked up and Kate fed them dinner while Jerry attended a tennis social event. While they were having cookies and chips as a special treat, Kate showered to get ready for dinner. After story time on the couch, Jerry returned. And together, Kate and Jerry put their sleepy kids to bed just like each night before. Just after 8.30, the couple checked in on their three kids for the last time and headed down to the restaurant. They mentioned Madeline's strange question to their friends and committed to being extra vigilant about check-in times that night. At 9.05 p.m., Jerry went for the first check-in. He noticed right away that the door to the kids' bedroom was further ajar than he had left it. But after checking on them and finding them all exactly how they had been left, he used the restroom and headed back to the restaurant. He bumped into a friend from the tennis club on the way and had a short conversation. One of the other adults in the group mentioned having seen Jerry talking to the man on her way to check on her kids. Then at 9.30, it was Kate's turn to check. But as she stood up to leave, one of the other parents in the group, the one who was staying in the room immediately next door to the couple, was due to go check in on his kids at the same time. He mentioned that he would look in on the three kids and despite being hesitant at first, Kate agreed. He came back to the table and reassured them that all was quiet at their place. Then at 10 p.m., Kate went back to the apartment herself. 
She came in through the patio doors as usual and stood listening for a few seconds. There weren't any sounds. She noticed that the door to the kid's room was much further open than she had left it. She walked towards the room and went to pull the door, but it slammed shut in her hands like a strong wind had caught it. Kate knew she hadn't left the patio door open and the window in the kid's room was always shut, so the slam didn't make sense. She opened the door and walked into the room, waiting as her eyes adjusted to the darkness. Right away, she noticed that Madeline's bed was unusually flat. There was no outline of the three-year-old where it should have been. It wasn't terribly unusual for Maddie to have left her room and crawled into her parents' bed for comfort, but when Kate turned to look into the master bedroom, Madeline wasn't there either. That's when the panic set in. She went back to the kids' room, turned on the light, and realized with a shock that the window, which had always been shut, was now wide open, and the shutters on the outside had been wound up, which is what had caused the door to slam. She knew instantly that Madeline was gone, but she still frantically scoured every spot she could think of that Madeline could fit in, hoping against hope that her baby was there. With no sign of Madeline, Kate ran down the stairs back to the restaurant where the rest of the group was still sitting, and she screamed, Madeline's gone. Someone's taken her. With that, the search for Madeline was on. The screams had awoken many other guests at the resort, who quickly joined in on the search once they heard that a child was missing. Staff from the hotel were called and the police were notified. And this is when the official investigation began. Here's a brief timeline of the events after Madeline was discovered missing. Police arrived at 1110, more than an hour after Kate had discovered Madeline missing. Meanwhile, the resort staff and guests were searching the grounds for Madeline, Jerry and Kate's family notified the British consulate, the British embassy, and the foreign office requesting support. By 1 a.m., officers from the main police force in Portugal, which is called the Policia Judiciaria, or PJ for short, arrived to begin taking formal statements. One of the other adults in the group with Kate and Jerry suggested getting the media involved, to which the officers immediately replied, no media. And at 2 a.m., patrol dogs were brought to the resort. Just after 3 a.m., the officers from the PJ left, they told Kate and Jerry that they were heading home for the night and would return after 9 a.m. Kate and Jerry were told they could take what they needed from the kids' rooms and the resort organized another apartment for them. Of course, Kate and Jerry couldn't sleep, not while their little girl was out there. Jerry went out looking again with some of the other adults while Kate moved her twins to the apartment of one of their friends. At around the same time, one of their traveling companions sent an email to Sky News informing them of the abduction though it went to a generic inbox and wasn't discovered for months. More than 60 staff from the resort kept looking for Madeline until 4.30 a.m. And at around 8 a.m., four search and rescue dogs arrived to begin searching the wider area beyond the resort. The news of Madeline's disappearance broke the next morning, when one of their friends back in the UK contacted the BBC and GMTV to try and get them to cover the story. It went on to be one of the most widely covered crimes in British history. Unfortunately, right from the first minute, errors were made in the search and investigation into Madeline's disappearance. Firstly, no one should have been able to touch the room while the investigation was underway. Instead, countless officers and staff entered the room, potentially disturbing evidence. Police took samples from the room, which identified DNA from one stranger, but this could have come from any one of the at least 20 people with access to the room. And the same thing happened outside the apartment. 
Below the window where a crowd gathered and potentially trampled on evidence from the shutter and open window where the abductor is thought to have entered. Officers dusted the room for prints but didn't wear any gloves themselves and even Kate and Jerry's prints had to be retaken after the officer printed them incorrectly. Even after Kate and Jerry requested support to have roadblocks set up and border authorities alerted, this didn't happen until 10 a.m. the following morning. Marine and border officers weren't given descriptions of Madeline until days later. No house-to-house searches took place around the resort that night. No surveillance photos were taken from traffic cameras in the area where she was taken from. Interpol didn't issue a global missing person alert for five days. And not everyone at the resort was interviewed or accounted for. Some travelers later contacted British police to say that no one had spoken to them after the abduction at all. As for suspects, right from the start, the police were suspicious of Kate and Jerry, and they believed the parents were involved somehow in their daughter's abduction. This was made worse by the fact that they both agreed to take part in any interview or news story which would feature their daughter in the hopes of her being found. The police, however, saw this as a ploy to deflect the authorities' attention away from their involvement. And eventually, the media interest became so overwhelming that PR consultants from the British government were transported to Portugal to manage the media onslaught. Let's go over some of the key pieces of evidence in the investigation. Well, remember the friend that had seen Jerry talking to the man from tennis? She would later recall on her way back to the restaurant, she had seen a man carrying a sleeping child. She had no reason to believe there was anything untoward going on as it was a family resort and many parents have experienced carrying a sleeping child on their way back from dinner or another event. And this was all before they knew Madeline was missing. So the friend told the first officers on the scene about what she had noticed that night, including a description of the man. But they only informed the media of the sighting 21 days later. However, when Scotland Yard became involved, they identified the man as a fellow vacationer carrying his own daughter back to bed, and the man was eliminated as a suspect. Twelve days after the disappearance, the PJ identified a British-Portuguese man as a suspect. He lived just 426 feet from the apartment where the McCanns were staying and was identified as having been seen in the area that night by a number of residents and resort staff. He was questioned, his home searched, his pool drained, and his associates questioned. But nothing was discovered to indicate he had any involvement in the case. Next up was a sighting from other British tourists at the resort. They reported to Portuguese police that around 10 p.m. they had seen a man approximately 600 feet from the apartment carrying a girl between the ages of three and four years old. Sketches of these men were only released to the public in 2013. Witnesses also reported suspicious activity around the resort in the days before the abduction. Robberies had quadrupled in the area in the months prior, including two in the same block the McCanns were staying in. On top of that, guests who had stayed in the exact apartment prior to the McCanns reported having found strangers on their balcony, asking for money for a charity. This was a claim repeated by at least three separate vacationers. From the start, the media had been supportive of Kate and Jerry. But that didn't last long. It lasted about a month. Because in June, one month after Madeline went missing, the media began to turn against Kate and Jerry. They also began pointing fingers at their friends who had been labeled the top of seven. False claims were reported that the group's statements kept changing and that they were all swingers who had been regularly sedating all of their children. They were accused of being involved in covering up what really happened to Madeline. 
the investigators made statements that there were inconsistencies in Kate and Jerry's stories, which pointed to them being involved in her disappearance. Most of these claims related to whether the patio doors were locked or unlocked, whether the door to the bedroom was open or shut, and whether the blinds and shutters were up or down in the bedroom window. Their version of what really happened was that Kate and Jerry had sedated the kids and Madeline had overdosed and died. They then hid her body and removed it later on in May when they rented a car. Her parents in the top of seven covered for the crime by claiming Madeline had been abducted. Meanwhile, Kate and Jerry were desperate to find their daughter and called on any expert who said they could help find her, no matter how bizarre their claims. There were psychics and even a matter orientation expert who asserted she had the technology to track people's DNA by satellite. Both were unsuccessful and only led people to believe that they were still trying to cover their tracks by bringing in false experts. The claims about Kate and Jerry being involved reached a fever pitch when reports were published that the police had brought in cadaver dogs to search the apartment and the vehicle they had rented 20 days after the disappearance. The cadaver dogs had both alerted inside the apartment, first by the sofa and then beside one of the wardrobes. When the dogs were exposed to a lineup of 10 cars, they had also alerted near the driver's door and trunk of the vehicle the McCanns were renting in Portugal. The Portuguese press got wind of the results and the tirade of accusations against the pair became a tsunami. They were both taken to a police station and told that if they admitted to murdering their daughter, Kate would only spend two years in prison while Jerry would be free to go. DNA testing, which was done on samples taken from the rental car, was inconclusive as to whether Madeline had been in the vehicle. And yet officers told Kate and Jerry that they were a match for Madeline and proved her body had been in the car. With that, both Kate and Jerry refused to answer any more questions and took the advice of their lawyers by returning to the UK. By then, it was four months after Madeline went missing, and they felt no closer to finding their little girl. But returning home didn't mean the media were any kinder to the couple. They were ripped apart online for having left the kids unattended in the first place. Meanwhile, Kate and Jerry continued their search, and they set up a fund called Madeline's Fund, Leaving No Stone Unturned Limited, which they used to fund private investigators, lawyers, and any other professional services they felt were needed in the search for Madeline. All the while, sightings of Madeline came in from every corner of the globe. Thousands upon thousands of tips have been received even to this day, but none have been verified because while Madeline may look different now, she has one unique identifying feature which would be difficult to conceal. She has a spot in her right eye that almost gives the appearance of her pupil melting into her iris. After 15 years, the disappearance of Madeline McCann is still one of the highest profile missing persons cases in history. In 2019, Netflix released an eight-part documentary about her disappearance, reigniting the search for her, but also the tirade of online vitriol against her parents. Kate and Jerry declined to be involved in the series. In April 2022, Portuguese authorities announced they had an official suspect in the case. The 45-year-old German man's name is Christian Bruckner. According to officials, he is currently serving time for the rape of an elderly woman and has been a suspect in Madeline's disappearance since 2020. They believe that Christian murdered Maddie, though no information about their evidence in the case has been released. Whatever may have happened, Madeline's disappearance remains unsolved and her family continues to fight for justice. On her 18th birthday, Kate and Jerry released a message through Maddie's fund. It reads, Every May is tough, a reminder of years past, of years together lost or stolen. 
This year is particularly poignant as we should be celebrating Madeline's 18th birthday. Enough said. We hang on to the hope, however small, that we will see Madeline again. As we have said repeatedly, we need to know what has happened to our lovely daughter no matter what. We are very grateful to the police for their continued efforts. We still receive so many positive words and good wishes despite the years that have gone by. It all helps, and for that we are truly grateful. Thank you. Madeline, we love you, and we're waiting for you. Until next time, follow us on our socials at The Murder Diaries Pod on Instagram and TikTok. You can also reach us at the Murder Diaries Pod Request at gmail.com. Until then, stay safe. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.